This is Software Defined Survival, where we explore how software-defined systems are changing the business of AVIT. Today on Software Defined Survival. And once I was able to really right, object-orient my life as opposed to um, thinking that I was pigeonholed into one thing, the world kind of opened up. Which guy are you, right? Because that's the box integrators get shoved into. Oh, we don't, we're not any of those. We're idea box. And this is our solution. And here's our front end. And the front end sells it, right? You whip out the iPhone and, and you've got this beautiful UI that sells it. Don't worry about the black boxes that are gonna uh, be on the back end that we're gonna control. And if you've decoupled your front end from that, you can easily, all of those items are, are easily integratable. And now you can give the client a really unique user experience that rivals, right, an Uber app or, or a native app on their iOS device. The reality is, no, I'm a programmer. And it doesn't have to be automation, it could be anything. And you're right, most dealers and most integrators aren't gonna take that step. A quick word of warning before we get started. If you happen to have an Amazon Echo or Echo Dot nearby, now would be a good time to go over there and click that mute button because we do mention her name quite a few times in this episode. So uh, Alexa, stop listening. And if you'd like to integrate Alexa with pretty much anything on your network, Go on over to catchtechnologies.com and have a look at Catch Connect. It's a little piece of software that can run on your Windows machine or a Raspberry Pi and lets you to send commands to pretty much any device through Alexa. We take care of all of that back-end server business and all you do is configure what commands you want to send to what IP addresses. And you could learn more about that at catchtechnologies.com. All right, back to the show. Hi, this is Patrick Murray, and today's guest has held many positions in the Las Vegas AV scene from installation, sales, and programming. And since 2009, he's been president and founder of IdeaBox, a AV installation, design and installation company in Las Vegas. Please welcome Mark Day to the podcast. Mark, welcome. Thanks, Patrick. Glad to be here. Is there anything about that introduction that you'd like to comments or expand upon? No, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, the short version is I kind of came up through the industry doing installations, uh, kind of as a trade worker when I was 20, in my early 20s, 22, 23, 24, caught the programming bug. My father was a uh, computer programmer, so I kind of watched him do it and I kind of had a natural knack for it. Uh, from there, I started programming for other audiovisual companies and slowly started graduating to larger and larger systems, more complex systems, uh, then into commercial work, and then decided that most of the problems with our projects weren't really on the programming side. They were on the design side. So I thought I could do it better myself. And then thus started IdeaBox, uh, I think, early 2010, late 2009. Good stuff. Um, there's a few things there I like about that, uh, that you had that influence from your father to be a programmer. Uh, I remember my father taught a, a basic course uh, on the weekends at a university, and that was kind of my introduction to programming. So there's that influence there. I think that uh, 
that comes up a lot that that uh being introduced to program programming as a young child has influenced a lot of people today and then you talked about how programming isn't really the problem it's design and that's really i think an interesting thing too because the programming is actually easy if the design is right everything just kind of falls into place and you're told what to do it's it's kind of like following a recipe you know you're exactly right and um <sighs> it really does all start from the design. And I think what happens a lot in our industry, uh, kind of a common problem is that everything is advertised as being integratable, right? So you can see works with Nest or, you know, works with brand X, whatever it is. And you know, as well as I do that, being integratable or, you know, uh, being marketed that way means different things from different manufacturers, right? So does that mean play, pause, and stop work? Or does that mean that I have full access to all the features of the device? Uh, for example, right, Nest is integratable with, you can integrate Nest with Amazon Alexa. But when you go and set it up, when you first kind of set that up and that integration was, uh, and you got that integration going, the first generation of that didn't allow you to even change modes via your nest. So you could say, you know, I'd like to Alexa set the temperature in the house to 75 and she would do that. But if you had to tell her to Alexa go to cool mode, she wouldn't be able to do that. Right. So without knowing that your sales guys are going to go out and just, Oh yes, nest is integratable. We can, we can go ahead and do that. Um, when the actual reality of the situation is that it's not right because either the API doesn't have those features open or whatnot. So you really have to understand your data. And that's, uh, that's kind of one of our core design philosophies is understand your data. And then once we're able to get that across to the customer, it really helps us close the sales too. Um, you see the same problem with alarm systems. You see the, you know, coming from a residential background. So you're right. Um, we hit the nail on the head. The, uh, the design is really where all of the future problems are going to either be squashed or where they're going to arise from. Yeah, that's really a great point. The messaging of this kind of consumerism in our professional integration space, the messaging can be completely wrong at times. And uh, that's something that it's always kind of a challenge when you're sitting with a customer to explain what exactly it is, what we're doing without getting too technical. Um, I have a really hard time doing that. Do you, uh, do you have any go-to techniques or tips on, on how to have those conversations with maybe non-technical people? You know, <laughs> I do. You know what I always do? I use the analogy of a person's phone. So most of our clients who are going to have a, a high-end residential system or they're going to have a commercial system, most of them are going to have a high-end Android phone or they're going to have a high-end, even higher-end iPhone, right? And we're going to talk about all the cool technologies that the iPhone allows them to do, whether that's order an Uber or order Postmates or, or whatever it is, manage their contacts, but then I dial that conversation back to, wouldn't it be great if the phone just worked every time I used it? And then I relate that to the system. When you can 
kind of relate that annoyance that the customer gets when they're trying to make that phone call. And for whatever reason, their home is where they can't make a phone call from, or their office is where they can't make a phone call from, or this one stretch of road in between is where they can't make a phone call from. If you can relate that your design stops that dead zone from happening, and that dead zone translates into you stopping that annoyance, that really helps me kind of explain the system to them. And I didn't get technical there at all. Right. So I really bring it to the cell phone because people have no problem spending a thousand dollars on their phone, um, uh, to do all these, you know, great things. And, and, and all of us have that issue all the time where we're trying to make a phone call and we can't do that, which is the one thing that the phone is supposed to have solved. Right. Very similar to the cars, combustion engine, Combustion engine works 100% of the time, yet still the phone does not work 100% of the time. I like that a lot. Can you hear me now, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a whole marketing campaign on that. So I I like the way you did that. It's like something people are very familiar with. Uh, It is a high-tech product. And you, you look for the annoyance in there, the thing that still doesn't work, that's familiar to them, that everybody is familiar with, basically. So I'm repeating myself 10 times. But um, I, I like the way you did that. So uh, I, I'm going to steal that one from you, if you don't mind. It, you know, it really works. And, and to really help with the sales, I always kind of bring our competitor up and explain that they're a sales centric company. Most companies out there are very sales centric and we're much more technology centric. So we can go ahead and we will design from the get go out those flaws. We're going to design out those dead zones. Meanwhile, a lot of our competitors are still trying to either fit the latest and greatest marketing idea in or, 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 you know, fit whatever their, dealers for in, whereas we're much more concerned with, do these devices have 100% uptime and do these devices have foolproof communication? Yeah. Um, there's a few points there. So that kind of reliability is going to translate into uh, a delighted customer in the end. And that's just good for business. And of course, sales are important, right? You, you need to make sales to, uh, to have the opportunity to show what you can do. But when that messaging, like you talked about in the beginning, works with Nest, works with this, works with that. And uh, I've personally been in some situations where you're in the trenches trying to make something work and the sales guy's like, why are you having such a hard time? Uh, I was told this will just work and it doesn't always go that way. So finding that... Uh, that common ground between the sales messaging and the technical realities, I think is it the challenge of the basic challenge of what we do. You know, that's really our job. You're exactly right. I've been in so many situations where coming up programming, uh, when I was younger, you know, I would bang my head against a wall to make piece a integrate with piece B. Right. And they really weren't designed to integrate with each other. And here I've spent 20, 30, 40 hours, maybe trying to get this item to work when it would have been much more cost effective to just swap out the piece, even for the project. By the time you paid for my labor, you could have swapped out the piece for 20% of that cost and we would have been off the races and done. And even at the end of my 40 hours, I got the piece to work 90% as well as the right piece would have worked in the first place. Right? Yeah. And, uh, 
maybe billing for that time is the solution, but that doesn't always fly. <laughs> well, you know, th- that's why I started my own company. Right. Yeah. So that was, that was a real, that was a real, uh, thing that catalyzed the starting of my own company was was watching the designs be wrong i gotta you know to be honest with you that was one of the major flaws that i noticed with most of the companies i worked for and programmed for was the problem started at the design so many issues were created that were uh, completely unnecessary so talking about that um sounds like you had a few projects that didn't go that great as we all do can you um maybe recall a project that really did go well and uh, maybe your most successful project and what made it rewarding for you? You know, our most successful, I can't think of a project off the top of my head that I would, I would call our most successful project. Um, I do know that once we, once we refined, and this isn't until year four, maybe actually year five or six of IdeaVox, that we really refined this process of designing the system 100% correctly. You know, believe it or not, when we started, right, we started with, you know, our first job. Maybe it was a $200,000 or $300,000 job. It was a full-blown automation system in a, in, a, in a private residence. And then every job after that, you were kind of running and gunning and learning on the way. And you never had time to sit down and really design it out as you set you 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 decided you wanted to when you started the company in the first place, right? And I do actually remember having conversations with uh, some of my key people about really going home. What would the perfect system look like for you? And I went home and I did the same thing, not from a technical integration standpoint, but from a user experience standpoint. So some guys would come back with, you know, uh, I really love, you know, the Vantage lighting keypads or uh, I really love the user experience of a Kaleidoscape, even though it seems like Kaleidoscape should be long gone now that, you know, Apple TVs are out. This is, you know, four or five years ago or so. And we kind of took all of that. It was only three or four guys that came back and did that. And then we chose out of those um, issues, we kind of created a chart, a hierarchy of what's the number one most important thing? Reliability. What's the number two most important thing? Integratability. And then user experience on the device. So once you took that user experience on the device and kind of put that in third place, I think it really helps. Because someone says the user experience of a Nest thermostat is just so great. So that's what I want to put on the top of that hierarchy. Well, that's what your salespeople are going to sell. And that is a problem. Yeah, I would much rather have an ugly, you know, Crestron or ugly Honeywell thermostat hidden in a room with a temperature sensor because I know it's going to work 100% of the time. It's not going to have API call limits. It's not going to be reliant on Wi-Fi. It's not going to have all these other issues that the end user is not thinking about. So once we develop that hierarchy where the boring stuff was more important than the, the kind of sexier stuff, our systems started going much smoother. Our labor hour numbers went down and the jobs became more profitable. So that's kind of my takeaway as far as like the perfect job is concerned. You know, for me, it doesn't matter if it's a $30,000 job or a $300,000 job or a million dollar, you know, job, you know, in the commercial realm for that matter. What matters to me is, does, can the product come in? Can I easily set it up and shop? And once I deploy it, can I walk away? 
And to me, that is the mark of a successful project. Good stuff. There's, there's a, a few things I want to unpack there. So I really like the way, um, I like the conclusion of that brainstorming session. Um, and I think that might be different depending on what kind of markets you're in. So you're in high-end residential. So reliability, usability are the things that came in at the top and that uh, product user interface may not be so important. And that might be different in a different niche. So but I like the way that you brainstormed and you said only with three or four people, that's all you need is a handful of, of smart guys to, or, or people to, um, to come up with these ideas and just really take the time to inspect, you know, what it is that we're doing. Because when you start a company, you have all these growth and sales pressures. And I like the way you took the time and said, let's hit pause and reinvest in, design and how we do things and, uh, and do that brainstorming and what you came up with really did uh, reap some benefits for you. And at the end, you were talking about how that nest or not, not the nest. We don't want to pick on them. At the end, you were saying how um, you want to be able to walk away from a device. So you mentioned like a Honeywell thermostat or a Crestron thermostat. And then if you compare that to a nest thermostat, so Nest is more like IoT, where they're pushing updates all the time to that thing, and you don't really have too much control over it. But those Honeywell and Crestron ones, you are completely in control over what firm, as the installer over what firmware is running on that. So how do you think uh, IoT affects the devices you select? You know, IoT is it's the future. Um, and it really has downstreamed automation. You know, this I would argue that this is the first year now, 2018, where a non 1%, let's say, customer can have a really functional smart home full of IoT devices that are very that are extremely reliable. They aren't customizable. You can't do a lot of custom stuff but they work. I can integrate my, my, my Nest Hello doorbell with my Amazon Alexa show. Um, and it, it's really delightful for customers. My garage door application, my, uh, my alarm application, all of those items, you know, they actually work really well, a lot better than the, you know, two or three years ago with the first generation stuff. But again, it's the integratability that, that we run into issues with. Um, you might be able, and that problem is getting solved every day by a lot of these large tech companies. Um, so, you know, we'll see how it goes. And we have no problem integrating the kind of newest, sexiest device, but it's gotta, it's gotta pass that integratability test uh, up front before we'll, we'll, we'll really put it in, you know? So, yeah, I think IoT really is the future. I think a lot of these, these uh, large companies are going to solve uh, a lot of problems for your downstream customers. I think that there's always going to be a space, you know, in high end, in the luxury market, call it, there's always a space, right? Because it's more about the psychology of the luxury market and less about the product itself. So the luxury market's always going to want custom, right? A purse is a purse is a purse, shoes are shoes are shoes, no matter who you are, but your luxury customers always going to want to differentiate themselves because they can psychologically. And I think they're always going to want to do that in the high-end space. So does that mean going back to high-end two-channel systems? Does that mean um, 
giving customers, uh, you know, different experiences, whether that's VR or, or whatever it is in the future. Um, I don't know, you know, we'll see what the future brings, but there's always a niche in there. There's always a way they always want to differentiate themselves in some fashion. Great stuff. Um, I like that downstream customer. I mean, you see it all the time, right? Well, what, what is a smart home? And it becomes harder to define with all of these uh, affordable and easy to get products that can kind of integrate with each other. You could use IFTTT. So these boxes even talk to each other and you could do some light automation and for a certain segment, that's it's enough. Uh, and it's probably hard to make a business out of that as an integrator. And, um, and then it would make sense if you're in residential to concentrate on the luxury and service aspect of that. What, um, if you had a crystal ball, what do you expect? I mean, you mentioned VR and things like that. Is there anything in this direction that customers are already asking for? Do you have any ideas of how to differentiate yourself in, in this kind of uh, downstream pressured market and stay relevant in the, in the higher end systems? You know, that's a good question. I think that on the downstream stuff, uh, you know, we're looking at homes here in Las Vegas where let's say a customer's got a $500,000, $600,000, $700,000 home. Normally, that wouldn't have been an Ideabox customer. Um, normally, an Ideabox customer, you're looking more at a residential customer anyway, a $1.52 million kind of dollar home to where you could take 10%, let's say, of the value of the home. And, and put that into an automation system being, you know, lighting, HVAC, security, all of your kind of distributed audio, distributed video, access control, all the stuff that, 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 that generally falls into that smart home uh, automation bubble. Um, and, you know, recently in the last year, what's changed is we are getting phone calls and talking to more customers in that six, $700,000 home range, $500,000 home range, because for 40 or 50 grand, you can put a pretty slick system together, but you still need that integrator. If, if you try, if the customer tries to DIY that, they just have a horrible experience. You know, if you've even gone into the Amazon Alexa app, for example, and you, you, you don't quite know the differences between the different kinds of skills. How does that relate to the smart home section of the app? How do you know when the, the products are talking to one another? What can the products do? You, you still don't really know. And, and the future, I'll tell you right now, is, uh, is you know, Amazon Alexa sending their installers, which are local third-party guys, to your house to help you set all that up. So the DIY, I just don't know if that's, that's ever really going to catch on for, at least for what we do, it won't, uh, for our market. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, we love kind of setting those systems up, but again, you're right, there's no margin in it. So what we're doing as a company is we're currently trying to pivot into um, creating a detachment from the kind of front end user experience that customers have and the back end black boxes. Uh, so whether you're, you've been using Savant or Control 4 or you know, Amazon for that, that matter or Crestron, uh, uh, you've always been tied completely into that ecosystem. And what's interesting is those companies were good, right, at integrating with everything else that 
that wasn't good at integrating, right? It had a serial port on it or an IR port. And so they allowed you to control those devices via one unified kind of control center, right? Uh, and that's kind of changing now, you know? This is the first couple of years where even we have started looking at, call it Crestron devices or, or Savant devices or, or, or what have you, as the individual boxes themselves and less of a complete solution which right is how those companies really want to market to dealers that were the complete solution. You have a, let's say Crestron, for example, you have a Crestron line system, you have Crestron T stats, you have, and if you buy all of this, purchase all this Crestron stuff, you're going to have this great system. And that's not necessarily the case anymore. You can really kind of decouple the user experience from, from, from the back end product and say, you know, I really like Crestron's NVX stuff. Let me put that into a system. Let me put Vantage Lights into a system. Let me use Somfy Shades into a system. And if you've decoupled your front end from that, you can easily, all of those items are, are easily integratable. And now you can give the client a really unique user experience that rivals, right, an Uber app or, or a native app on their iOS device, um, yet still controls all those kind of back end boxes. And now the conversation isn't, oh, I had Crestor in my last house and I had nothing but problems or, oh, I have Savant in my house or, oh, this guy wants to sell me control for, um, which guy are you, right? Cause that's the box integrators get shoved into, which are you a Savant integrator or are you a Crestron integrator? Or are you an AMX, whatever, whatever it is. And, uh, and now what we're trying to do is, oh, we don't, we're not any of those. We're idea box. And this is our solution. And here's our front end. And the front end sells it, right? You whip out the iPhone and, and you've got this beautiful UI that sells it. Don't worry about the black boxes that are going to uh, be on the back end that we're going to control. Excellent, Mark. This is really kind of what this podcast is about. So you're getting me all revved up here. Um, I think the answer to that question is, is uh, we're a design company, right? We're not dealer X, dealer Y. We are a design company and we deliver a great experience. And I think that's where everybody wants to be. And this idea, uh, you said several times, detached user experience. I kind of view it on a more technical level as decentralized control. Um, and you're even decoupling the UX from the control part as well, right? There's logic that happens in the back ends without user interaction. And then there are you know things that happen from the user. And all that comes together in a space to create a user experience. Can you uh, get a little more techie and tell us about how you're decoupling everything and uh, creating that experience for your users? Sure, uh, sure. So in our more traditional systems, uh, we would run, let's take a crush run control process, for example. We would run all of the code on a proprietary processor and usually utilizing proprietary software. Um, and it would all kind of live in that box. And so if you wanted to have a kind of a touch panel experience or a user, a phone experience, you would have to then use, and I'm going to use Crestron right now because they are a great company. They have just probably the biggest range of solutions. Um, and they've really been at the forefront of this industry for 30 or maybe it's 40 years now. I'm not sure. Uh, and they, they really make great products. And uh, they gave, they gave dealers that weren't as technical and the ability to just 
really wow their customers. So I, I, we really love their product um, and we utilize them for years. And, but you were kind of honed in on strictly using their product, right? Once you bought in, that was it. You were utilizing their product for a Crestron system to control a Lutron lighting system. Yes, you know, 10 years ago you were doing it, but now they don't even support Lutron drivers, right? So now it's, 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 it's a nightmare. And the harder they made that, the easier it was to just say, forget it. Let's use a Crestron lighting system, even though maybe the keypads aren't as beautiful or, you know, so again, going back to our, our kind of our, our, our mantra that we kind of came up with five or six years ago, we would always choose the integratability over the user kind of experience or the, 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 uh, the beauty of the product. Right. So, and a company like Crestron would make it really easy for us to do that. So by decoupling the UI, you start, you start taking away, you start using less and less code that's going to run on the processor. So it does make the whole system much more complicated to understand. And from a technical standpoint, you're going to need to have guys on staff who are proficient in more than uh, one specific companies um, in programming environment, right? So you might need JavaScript guys or you need, you know, Crestron's world C-sharp guys. Um, you need front-end UI designers. So you need HTML5, uh, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript again, guys. Uh, and you can start taking that code that you are running on the let's say Crestron processor, and you can start splitting that up and just taking all of the user interface stuff. So all the stuff you would normally run on a, on a touch panel or through the Crestron app on an iPhone. And you can run all of that uh, utilizing native technologies or technologies that exist for web development or iOS development or you know Android development, where you're going to find a a plethora of people who are proficient in those technologies, right? That's what they learned in computer science. And you kind of are outside of that sandbox, right? So, so what happens is we take a lot of the code that was running on our proprietary stuff. And now we're bringing that code and we're running it at multiple places, right? So we've got uh, an AM, let's say uh, a server running in the cloud with Amazon web services. We have code running there. We've got a database running there. We've got code running inside of our UI logic. So now that's decoupled and running on the user's device. We've got event listeners on the user's web event listeners. So things start updating without refreshing a web page. And you've still got code running on, let's say a local Crestron or whatever processor speaking to the local video switcher or audio switcher. So it is more complicated to understand a decentralized kind of code base, but if you can do it, it really opens up your, uh, your toolbox and allows you to create user experiences now that aren't reliant on strictly what the manufacturer gives you. And to, to compare that to, to, uh, the, the Crestron experience kind of full circle, you know, when you open that Crestron app, it almost feels like on your iOS device that that Crestron app is it's there because it has to be there because people are going to have an expectation to utilize it on their phone. 
but everything from the resolution of the app, the logo that pops up, the load time of the app already seems kind of archaic and turning a $200,000 system over to a customer and giving that their iOS experience when their Postmates app, they downloaded for free and have a much more beautiful, quicker loading, animation friendly, micro interaction friendly UI is their expectation and, and you're not able to deliver that. So if you want to deliver that, you have to decouple it. And now also it gives you access to everything, right? You can, you can speak to Nest now. You can speak to uh, just a bunch of third-party IoT devices because a lot of them have very robust APIs. You can integrate with Amazon Alexa directly and you're not reliant on that, that kind of big integration company uh, software. As you know, when you're running C-sharp and you're writing code in, in, in C-sharp uh, to do really neat stuff with, uh, with, uh, with Crestron products, you're running Visual Studio 2008. You know, I just tried to upgrade that the other day and Microsoft sunset it in April of this year. Yeah. So <laughs> just think about that for a moment, right? The latest technology I can utilize on the arguably the best integration platform company out there is running on 2008 software. So it really hamstrings you. It really, it really ties you, uh, it kind of can tie you up. And, and there's always that play between the dealer, manufacturer, and, and you want to be beholden to as few people as possible. You want to, you want to run your own business, right? You don't want to, to, uh, to rely on, on a certain product so much that you, you are in control. Yeah, you really uh, summed it all up kind of where the industry is at as far as I'm concerned. And uh, that last point was flexibility and agility. You, you really want to be able to use the technologies that make the most sense for you. And like you're saying, Ideabox is a design-focused company. And to create that experience, people are used to using mobile apps or um progressive web apps on a, on a web page and responsive design. They're just accustomed to these very modern interfaces and experiences. And to really deliver that, you need to make a very specific thing. You need to kind of have control over the entire experience. And when you're using something third party, that may not always be the case. But in the beginning, you did mention, I mean, how our industry is kind of changing. And, uh, it's always that integration versus one solution. You know, when these companies like Crestron and AMX started, all they made was touch panels and processors and uh, kind of converters so you could turn things on and off. That's where we came from. So they did integrate with everything. And now the move is towards being that everything, delivering that everything, and even closing things, some things off. Like you mentioned that Lutron integration, which... Uh, yeah, caused a lot of uh, interest because it, it kind of goes against that old paradigm of we integrate with everything. Um, one interesting point is that you mentioned that a company like Crestron provided the tools where maybe not so technical people could create a really amazing experience. And I think that's important to note, but at some point that ends at some point, if you want to get really deep into a design and have full control over the experience, there are, there's a whole world of software out there. There's a whole tribe of software developers. Uh, just go to freelancer.com and you'll find all the developers you need. And, um, 
I don't think there are many companies doing what you're doing that have that kind of attitude. But uh, I think it's important if you want to differentiate yourself, like we were talking about before in this changing market where everything's getting commoditized, all we really have left is an experience to deliver. So taking all that in mind, are you working on anything different, uh, working on anything in the future that you'd care to share with us? You know, we are. Uh, glad you asked. We have a, um, you know, it's funny how your experiences in life, uh, kind of everything builds on everything else. Opportunities come up. People will ask you, oh, how'd you do that? You know, I would have never had that idea or, or, or you, you see people and you wonder how they had a certain idea. And I think the trick really is once you're an expert at something and you really understand something, then you can see the problems in what you know. And to your person that's not in the field, they're not even going to know to look for the problem. The opportunity is not going to arise because they don't even realize that it's a problem, right? So on one hand, I think to myself, you know, I, I should have started this or that or, or, or worked on something earlier. But on the other hand, I didn't, I wasn't equipped with the knowledge. And, uh, and, and so by, by really decoupling the technology, like we were talking about earlier and, uh, and, and really teaching myself other technologies, right. Uh, JavaScript being a good example, um, getting in touch with a community of designers, right? We would always design these Dutch panels and, and try to mimic uh, whatever maybe Apple was doing or whatever Microsoft was doing or, or whomever. And, and the version we always turned out was a version that was a couple shades worse, right? A couple levels worse than, uh, than what guys were doing natively, which made sense, right? Because we're, we're working with a limited tool set and, uh, and we don't know what we don't know. So really the idea is expanding your knowledge. And so once we, we really sat down, me and, and a couple of my guys and, and started learning some new technologies, these doors started opening and you started looking at uh, issues a different way and, and solving problems in a different fashion. And then new opportunities kind of arise, right? So you realize that once you've become an expert, let's say at, at automation you've, and you've learned these systems and you've learned how to program these systems, you really view yourself through that lens, right? Like I'm an automation guy, right? And the reality is, no, I'm a programmer. And it doesn't have to be automation. It could be anything. And you're right. Most dealers and most integrators aren't going to take that step because it's a very technical step. It's very hard to, 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 to get off your, your butt and do it. And you have to genuinely be, be interested in doing it. What started kind of our, our some of the new stuff we're working on is, is learning that, uh, learning new technologies and then realizing once we learned the new technologies, we realized, oh, we really can decouple this experience and now utilize these third party products where are their pain points in the industry so as you mentioned we uh i'm from las vegas and the main driver of our industry here is the hospitality industry and it used to be that you'd walk into a hotel room and the hotel room right was like the height of technology the height of technology right you could order movies i'm talking probably like late 80s here but early 90s you could order movies you could order room service like it was amazing that you could just kind of pick up the phone and anything would happen right um and now when you walk into a hotel room pick a hotel it could be the most beautiful hotel you know the the aria or uh, the bellagio or the Wynn hotel and the technology is archaic. 
what do you mean I can't stream from my device and watch the newest episode of Game of Thrones on my on my TV? What do you mean I can't just order my food? I still have to pick up the phone and talk to a concierge. You know, as much as I hate the uh, what kind of technology is doing to to our society at a social level, and I think there's going to be a kind of a uh, a push against that, hopefully. Um, it really is creating a generation of people who have a hard time interacting with other people and they want to be able to have that interaction with technology. And if I go to a hotel, the point is to relieve the client of their money as easily as possible. The least amount of barriers, right? That's what Amazon does. One click purchasing. I can't do that in a hotel 2018. So that's kind of a problem that, that we noticed and we set about building some software to solve that problem. And that's, that's one of our new ventures. We've been working on it for, for two or three months. And there's a lot of, again, I'm able to, we're able to utilize our, what we're experts at, right? We're all in our, our mid thirties, late thirties, forties. What are we experts at? We're experts at integration. That's where we're experts at. What is a hotel? It's a bunch of systems that need integrated. Whether that's back of house, whether that's the uh, property management system, um, housekeeping, uh, room service, valet, um, shows. I mean, there's just so much stuff that needs integrated, right? Players cards, customer management. And instead of looking at integrating, looking at our uh, us as being only able to integrate with audio switchers and video switchers, what is the difference between switching an audio, switching an input on a video switcher from, you know, input two to output four, what's different than requesting from a property management system, username, length of stay time, um, uh, uh, and phone number. There, there is no difference. It's all in integrating. It's all asking a question, getting a response, storing data and doing something with it. And once I was able to really write object orient my life, as opposed to um, thinking that I was pigeonholed into one thing, the world kind of opened up. And now all of a sudden, wait a second, we might be able to create solutions for a myriad of problems. And being that we're in Las Vegas, hospitality seemed to be kind of a natural one to tackle. We didn't see a, a real winner in that space that was doing a, a very good job. Um, I know there are, there are, there are companies that are, are, are doing kind of different versions. And we think we, think we have a, a solution that, that is, is, is really, is really unique and, and builds on the expertise. We saw the problem and now we're, we're, we're trying to solve it. And who knows, you know, some of that might be integrating with black boxes from third-party manufacturers. Well, for sure it's going to be ones we're familiar with and ones we're not so familiar with. Um, but at the same of the time, at the same time, learning these two technologies gave us the confidence to do that. If we would have never learned, we would have never had the confidence. We would have never seen the problem. Uh, so anyway, so that's one of the, uh, that's what we're really focusing a lot of time on uh, right now. I love that attitude, Mark. Um, it, it's really true. Once you get to a certain skill level, once you start brainstorming and looking at things a little different way, you realize that everything with an API is integratable and you become a kid in the candy store and just see opportunities anywhere. I like the way you're focusing on one space that hospitality industry in Las Vegas. And uh, I've seen some of those touch panels. You've showed me some of them. It's definitely ripe for disruption. So I wish you all the best with that. And uh, I think we should follow up maybe in a year or so and see how things worked out. 
And if anybody would like to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Probably the best way is you can email me at mark at ideabox.co. That's I-D-E-A-B-O-X.co or mark at cohost, K-O-H-O-S-T dot I-O. And that's Mark with a K, right? You got it. All right. Thanks a lot for being on the show, Mark. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. If you or anyone on your staff ever considered themselves just an AV programmer, join the club. That's how I used to feel. I was just an AMX programmer or just a Crestron programmer. Whatever language of your choice is, whatever it may be, there's generally this feeling in AV that we're not capable of using modern programming languages. And it simply isn't true. Sure, there's a learning curve, but once you get through it, all other languages become easier to learn and it just expands the amount of options you have when designing a system. It's not an either or decision. You don't say, I won't be using these manufacturer tools anymore. It's just, you have a broader palette to choose from. And here's what Mark Day, founder of Ideabox, had to say about his experience with the online courses at learnavprogramming.com. You know, Patrick, it's funny how the smallest things can sometimes be the start of really big ideas. Uh, Before I took the learnavprogramming.com courses, I was in that proprietary, I'm only a control system programmer kind of mindset, right? Uh, When it came to new technologies or current technologies like JavaScript or or things like that, for some reason, I thought that was different from what I'm doing. And what taking your courses flipped for me was not so much what I learned technically taking the courses. It was the mindset of, oh, wait a second, I'm already doing 99% of what some of these most modern programmers are doing. I just have to learn uh, you know, the other 1%. And that's really what I did. So it's really been kind of a big change after taking the course. Um, and I would really recommend this course to any integrator. Not only will it obviously help their skill set, but more importantly, it might change their whole mindset, uh, which is more important and, and, and really show them new opportunities, open the door so they kind of see problems through a different lens. Uh, I got to tell you, one of the the biggest changes for me was as soon as I taught myself HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and saw the UIs that I can make with those technologies, I I, I just couldn't sell a uh, Crestron touch panel again. Mark is a great example of somebody who takes new information and really applies it. I know that Mark still sells a lot of Crestron equipment, but for him, for his company, for his customers, for his business... He needed a better UI. He needed another option for a user interface, and modern programming allowed him to do that. So the question is, how can you use modern programming to improve your business? Please go to learnavprogramming.com, and wherever you see a sign-up button, go ahead and sign up, and you'll get some free information to get a feel of my learning style and what kind of information is available. And of course, it would be an honor to have you enroll in one of our courses and help you upgrade your skills and take this industry to the next level. Thanks for listening to Software Defined Survival. I hope you found it useful, and maybe it inspires you to try out something new this week. If you have any questions, Go to softwaredefinedsurvival.com and click the appropriate button. I'd love to answer your questions on the air. And if you'd like to help spread the word, please subscribe, comment, 
and share it with your friends. Thanks. <laughs>